Welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network, coming to you from the TeacherCast studios since 2011. Join us each week as we bring you the latest educational news, ed tech updates, and hottest interviews with today's most influential leaders in education. And now, for your host, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and welcome to Episode 8 of the Jeff Bradbury Show. If you're a podcaster, an author, a speaker, a blogger, or any type of educational content creator, this is the show for you. Welcome to our bonus episode, our second bonus episode for the month of February. Today, we're going to be talking about how you can build your edu brand in fact we're going to be giving you guys five ways to keep your email subscribers engaged we have a great show today featuring our good friend heather blackwell guys i hope you guys are having a great time with the show Two days ago when we came out with episode number seven, we talked a lot about email marketing. We talked about segmentation. We talked about automation. And we really tried to deep dive into the conversations of email newsletters versus email marketing. If you haven't checked out that show, I urge you to go back and check out episode number seven over at buildyouredubrand.com. Or, of course, you can search for this show anywhere that you find your podcasts because that really set the stage for what was an extremely in-depth conversation about email marketing between Heather and myself coming up here. We talk about our five ways, how to set our expectations, learn about our subscribers, and so much more. I want to give a shout out to a bunch of educators that took the time this week to actually write out and vox me and all these different things trying to tell us how much they love this show i want to say thank you guys i had such a good time specifically i want to give a good shout out to our good friend sam she decided to vox us and say how much she's getting out of this show and how much it's helping out her email marketing sam if you're listening to the show today i Thank you so much. It was a really amazing pick-me-up today in school just to hear your vox, to hear your voice. And if you guys have any comments about the show, please check us out. Of course, you can find out all the information about this show over at buildyouredubrand.com. We want to help you guys out. Check out buildyouredubrand.com. Dot com today. We are almost at 80 members right now for our TeacherCast email marketing challenge. If you're listening to this show, I figured, you know, you gotta be into email marketing. Head on over to buildyouredubrand.com. Check out our email marketing challenge. You get 90 days worth of, of how-tos, no-tos, tutorials, templates, everything that I have. I've, I've smushed into this 90-day email marketing challenge. And sometime in the next week or so, we're going to be trying to get people together to come and do a, you know, a webinar, a tutorial, a mentorship, a mastermind, whatever you want to call it. We've got some great things going on. And if you're looking to get into our mastermind community, we just opened up a brand new Build Your EDU brand Facebook community. And all the links are going to be over on episode eight for the Jeff Bradbury show. And I got to tell you, for this particular episode, our show notes are jam-packed with content. Lots of links, lots of resources. Check it out over at buildyouredubrand.com and let us know what you think about this show and how we can help you out. We started this show over a month ago now, did eight episodes, and we've got a ton of content coming up for you. What kind of content, you asked? Well, we've got interviews coming up with our good friends over at the EduMatch Network. That's right. Next week, 
Next week, we're going to be talking to the one and only Dr. Sarah Thomas about how she has built the EduMatch Network. And it is an amazing episode. We really got down and dirty. We really got candid. Just two educators talking about how we are sharing our passions with the world. That's coming out next week. You don't want to miss that. And also coming up, we've got great episodes on how to build your EDU brand through your students, how to help out your community and how to really build a program. That's something that I found very, very fascinating. I've got a good friend named uh, Tom White coming on talking about how he was building his brand for his school district. We've got a great interview coming up with that. And you never know. We've got a few other uh, great, you know, how do you build your EDU brand and five ways to build your EDU brand show. So lots of great stuff. And of course, if there's a topic that you're interested in learning about, we would love to have you guys check us out. You can find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Or, of course, head on over to TeacherCast.net with our brand new homepage. I'd love to have you guys check it out and see what is happening over on TeacherCast today. And with that, my friends, I want to bring on our interview. We did this interview, oh my goodness, at the beginning of our show. I actually did this interview with Heather before we even produced episode one of the Jeff Bradbury show. So it was really, really nice getting a chance to revisit this. And of course, I want to say thank you to Heather for coming on and 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 really nothing was off limits. She and I had a fantastic conversation. And you know what? With that, I want to pause right here, remind you guys to check out the show and all of our podcasting channels, and I will see you guys later. Until then, here's our interview with Miss Heather Blackwell. My guest today has more than a decade of digital marketing experience as an and is an absolute expert in the field of email marketing. I want to bring on today Miss Heather Blackwell. Heather, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm great, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much. I am so excited to talk to you. We've been we've been linked inning back and forth <laughs> all about these great branding topics. And you and I started to talk a little bit about email marketing, which kind of led us to this. I got to start off by saying, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Yeah, so I um, always knew I wanted to be in marketing. Even when I was a little girl, I used to watch TV commercials and think, how cool would it be to be doing something like that? And so from that, I've, I've worked around 15 years in marketing, um, and 10 of those have been around digital marketing. So it's helping companies set up websites, digital marketing plan, and what comes with that is a lot of email marketing. And a lot of people might say, you know, things have changed and email isn't as effective as it was before, but what we're seeing is that email is still one of the most effective ways to reach your target audience. And so I've worked for um, a, quite a few uh, through a lot of uh, ed tech companies, specifically learning.com. I've worked there for six years and then really enjoyed creating a lot of email campaigns and content marketing campaigns for teachers. And so I'm really excited to be here today and use some of my expertise to help um, other uh, people that are trying to set up email campaigns and email marketing for their target audience. Now, this is a relatively new topic I'm finding for educators. And, and mm -hmm. I believe that there is a difference and, and we can dispute this here, but there's a difference between sending a newsletter and mm -hmm. doing email marketing. Yes. Yeah, so a newsletter you could consider as part of your overall email strategy. Um, but what you look at is um, a, 
more than the newsletter, if you can create really valuable content, content that might be shared from one of your people who have signed up for your newsletter so that they might reach someone else in the same target audience that you want to reach, but you might not have that person in order to get that person interested in you. So email marketing and specifically around using content that's shareable and getting other people to sign up for your email um, marketing list is a great way that you can grow your list and reach people that you might not have right now in your on your email list. That's so important. And I hope anybody who's listening backs up a couple seconds and re-listens to that, because when we're looking at things, you know, I look at a newsletter and I say, my my teacher cast newsletter might come out weekly and it's, hey, here's a bunch of wonderful stuff. But Mm -hmm. my email marketing is specifically for tech coaches or specifically for podcasters. And, you know, we're going to talk today about things like automation, segmentation. How do you Mm -hmm. find it? And you've already started using words like like target audience. I I, want to deep dive into these different things because it's so important. I, I dare start off our conversation by saying so many educators today are doing it wrong. Do you see, right? Uh, right? Uh, yeah, and I mean, you can, me being a marketer, I'd say let's flip it on its head to say there are better ways that you can do it more effectively so that you'll be using the amount of time that you have to dedicate to this. And I can assume like you, Jeff, you have sort of what you consider your day job and then you have sort of a, a side project or a passion or something that you're trying to get your message, your personal brand out. So you want to make the time that you're spending doing that work as effective as possible. So the first thing, if you want to back way up is what I do in a campaign is develop what you call a persona, which is the ideal person that you're trying to reach with your message. Um, In work that I've done in the past is you literally create this um, imaginary, if you will, person that you kind of list out all of the things about that person as far as sort of their demographics, what they're interested in, but more specifically, what are their pain points, which means, you know, what kinds of things are they currently struggling with in their job? Um, what would they like help with? What keeps them up at night? And those negative feelings that you can then offer content, offer solutions, offer resources to help them address those pain points is sort of in a kind of a larger nutshell, but that's what marketing usually um, encompasses for me. And I think for somebody building their personal brand, absolutely should use that same mindset. So essentially you're trying to answer a question that somebody has. Exactly. Or help them solve a problem. Um, And I think especially around thinking about um, digital marketing and the internet is people go to Google to get their problem solved, right? So people are looking for ways to um, improve their skills to, like I said, solve their problems, help them in their jobs through the internet and having something that's at the top of their inbox, an email from you with the answer to one of their problems is, you know, that's that perfect relationship that you could have with your audience. Now, I oftentimes look at this uh, and we call them avatars. I, I love the word persona here. When we're looking at this, it's always what do they need? What are they asking? And you know, if, if you're out there listening and you're and you're checking us out here for the first time, we do have our 90 day email marketing tablet or, or challenge, I should say. One of the first emails that we send you is an avatar checklist. I'm at, we actually walk you through who that avatar is. What do they look like? It is a huge Google Slides template that basically walks you through. If you're interested in any of this stuff, check that out over on buildyouredubrand.com. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions here. Of what, what happens next? Like you have that avatar you kind of know where that person is and what that person looks like. But 
so many times for teachers, they say, well, my avatar is educators. And I look at that and I go, no, 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 too broad, no, no, no. way <laughs> yeah. too broad. Yeah. I need this. So if I, if I am looking at this and saying, well, I do a show for teachers or I do a show for high school teachers, how do you, how do we narrow that down and really, really deep dive into finding that target persona? So I think it does have to stem from what your own expertise is that you can provide. So for the example of at learning.com, the, the product that we provide helped with technology skills. So the personas that we wanted to reach out to were specific to teaching students technology skills. And so as for an educator, if whatever you're most passionate about, most experienced about, want to be known for is sort of that's the initial um, value that you can offer. But um, then you need to say, well, what sort of um, audiences out there would be the most interested in what I have to offer? And then from there, you say, okay, then what does that audience look like? And what are those specific pain points and specific questions out there that I can help answer? So then you sort of, it's sort of building the relationship between what you have to offer and who's out there that needs what you can provide. And at that point, you're really trying to figure out what kind of value can I bring somebody? How do I help answer their questions, cure some of their pain points? Yep. Yes. And that's the thing, because when you provide them with uh, something to make them their job easier, to make them feel smarter at work, to make them have an aha moment, even make them feel more creative because you sort of help them create a framework for themselves with their students, then they're going to want to come back to you because they'll see you as something we use in, in marketing is a thought leader, right? They're going to see you as someone who they want to come back to because you help them already with a few of their issues. They want to see what else you have um, for them. Now, today we're going to talk about five ways to keep your email subscribers engaged. But before we get to being engaged, we actually have to get them to be email subscribers. And that yeah. takes on a lot of different roles. That That's freebies, that's sidebar widgets, that's blog posts, that's social media. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But for educators who are starting out, I think it's just basically getting something on the website that says subscribe here. Mm -hmm. What do you suggest that looks like? We have big conversations about this in the 90 Day Challenge. Yeah, so I think trying to set a little bit more expectation as far as what they might get out of it. So, you know, you can have a box on your website that just says sign up here, but if there's a way that you can sort of create a little bit of content right before where the sign up is, that's like, you know, sign up for um, monthly lesson plans or, you know, our, a white paper or something initially to get a hook versus just sign up. I've seen in the campaigns that we've done to be a lot more effective because people are essentially giving you their email address for a transaction of some value back to them. And so if you initially just have the sign up, which it can be valuable too, if it's in the footer or whatever, but um, because people, you know, sometimes get an infiltration of email and they might be a little more stringent on, you know, giving their email out. But if it's something valuable enough for them to say, yeah, I mean, I kind of want to look at that thing, or I, I'm interested in, in hearing from this, from this brand and what they could maybe offer me. And then they'll give you, um, give you their email address that way. So that's one of the ways that I would suggest is sort of, you know, setting their expectations already when they're going to initially give you their email address, what value that you could provide. Now we talk a lot about the terms call to action, CTA. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I've, done a lot of research on this and I've played a lot with this on the TeacherCast site and I think there's a difference between having a call to action that says subscribe here or download your free 
something. Mm-hmm. There's a I don't know the numbers, but there's got to be a percentage of, you know, if I say subscribe, that sounds cold. But if I say click here to download or receive your free gift, I might click on that a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally agree. And uh, subscribe is without an initial value, you might think is like too much of something to ask for someone, right? It's like, you know, get married to somebody on the first date. Well, I don't want to, I don't know if I'm going to like it, right? So I think if you initially provide something of high value that they do want to exchange their email address for, but it's perfectly allowable then to say, okay, now that you, we've had that initial transaction, now you can put them in what we call in marketing a nurture campaign was essentially sending them emails on a regular but not too much basis to continually engage them and continually get them interested in your brand. You had mentioned that whole getting married on their first date. I, I want to transition to this into pop-ups because for oh, so yeah. many people, <laughs> you go to the website and then immediately you get this thing. And I, and I, I say the same conversation. It's you, you, you go to some girl's house, the door opens up and before they even say hello, you drop to your knee and you say, marry me. <laughs> yeah. And you're she trying may to close the door. <laughs> she may. And it might even be her father, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> you're, you're, close the door. I always look at an email address as the most sacred thing that you can share with somebody. And yeah. you're asking me for the email address. You might even be trying to sell me an ebook, but you're asking for it before you provide the value. Now, for TeacherCast, we have a variety of technologies. I, I love the, the I'm a major subscriber of Optin Monster, which basically says it'll throw a pop up after what we call exit intent. Yeah. I also have some pages that don't throw pop ups up until 20 seconds, which mm-hmm. if you're reading a blog post, 20 seconds is a long time. Mm-hmm. What is your philosophy? What is the learning.com philosophy of a professional company like that on things like pop-up? I'm assuming one second pop-up is not the rest idea. Yeah, I think um, my personal philosophy around that is at least give enough time for someone to decide whether or not they want to give you the, your email address. You know, it's there is a balance. And when you have more resources from a company perspective of creating content that you can give for free and then use pick and choose which you want to use to sort of get an email address from and which you don't, though like I was talking about at the beginning, you only have a limited amount of time when you're doing it on your own. And so you want to make sure that anything you do can get as much of a return as possible. But I would recommend if possible using tools that at least like you mentioned, Jeff, give some time for someone to read through the first half of a post or, you know, the first few pages of if, of an ebook that you created and then let them as the reader decide, yes, this is worth my, my email address. I want to see what else that this has to provide. You know, I, I tend on my blog post to use at least two different kinds of forms. I, I have a very decorative form on the bottom that's got a picture and a graphic. And that's the traditional, you know, end a blog post, sign up, thanks. But then I sometimes in the middle, I do what we call a naked form, which is no CSS, no color, just sign up. And, I, you know, maybe I'm talking about a specific giveaway. And right in the middle of that blog post, it goes, hey, if you're interested, sign up now. Mm-hmm. I find that most people do the signups in the middle of the blog post because, you know, by the time they're hooked, they're hooked. They want to go. It's actually a higher percentage for me to hit that middle naked post rather than going all the way down to the bottom. I don't know if that's from being on mobile phones. I don't know if that's from desktop. But when you're looking at opt-ins, when you're looking at creating those those lead magnets and all, all those different things for blog posts, what are your suggestions? What have you found that works? 
So one thing that, and again, it depends on your resources, but one thing is if you do create a free piece of content by itself, but then it sometimes links to another piece of content that's maybe the richer version of what you're offering. So let's say you spend a lot of time and you create an ebook about a pretty big topic. You write a simple blog post about the ebook that you put out on social for everyone to look at, but then you have a really strong call to action that links to, you know, to get the full meal deal, essentially, then come and download the ebook. And that's where they um, then would have to put in their information. From my experience, that's been the highest converting because you initially get you, you know, you provide that initial value to say, I just want to get this information out to the masses, but it's only enough to sort of peak interest. And then if somebody is really interested, and there's someone that you they're going to want to be on your list, then they're, they're ready to download and they're ready to put in their email address to get it. What's your philosophy on colors? We, we talk a lot on this show about branding and having your colors, your font, your this, but that being said, there's got to be something about having a red button for subscribe versus a green button for a blue. I mean, each of those colors has a certain emotional representative, but should you stick with your brand or not? Um, it. For me, we I do a lot of testing and I, I'm lucky enough to be able to have resources to spend a lot of money on a lot of tools that help us. And and one thing I always say is plan as much as you can, but be prepared to pivot. So um, there's been many times where my team is like, oh, yeah, we should make it say this or have the button say this. And then what ends up happening is we don't see very good rate of clicks and we end up changing it anyway. So um, one general comment I would say is make sure that any sort of buttons or links that you do want people to notice to be noticeable right so um you know brighter colors orange um, or a lighter blue is often a good a good choice make sure that because a lot of people what they do is scroll right. right people like scrolling and clicking so if you make something that is noticeable when they're scrolling then it makes it clickable and so that's sort of a general framework i'd go by and i i totally agree with that you know like teacher cast colors are generally in the darker blues the lighter blues depending on what the brand is you're looking at the, the podcasting stuff more of a goldish but I try to keep my subscribe buttons bright red. I want your eyes to go there. I want you to see mm -hmm. what you're getting and click here to subscribe or download your templates. And you know, speaking of templates, I've tried a variety of different opt-ins, a variety of different giveaways, some of them being general, some of mm -hmm. them being specific. For example, recently over the, the holiday break here, I put out a weather forecast template. Kids go to the Google Slides template, they do a seven day weather for, like here's an example of an activity. It was popular. I've gotten a lot of hits out of it, but certainly not as popular as my trifold brochure, which basically says anybody can download this. Should we be creating content that is specific for that niche that we're talking about, or should we be creating content that anybody can check out that might then bring them into our brand? I think it is it is a both element. I mean, depending on your resources, you do want to sort of spread a wider net um, when you can to get some people interested or the idea of shareability for it, um, because you do still want to get your name out there. But I do think once you do sort of set that wide net and get um, you know, a lot of people interested, you do sort of have to narrow in on who are the people that are going to follow you from now until you do your next venture, right? right? So you, it is a balance you have to play as far as um, where you can put 
your time and resources. But because once you it, you can only create so much general content all the time that then people are like, yeah, whatever I can. It's vanilla. I can get it wherever. Right. You want one of the things I always say is you need to make anyone who signs up for your list feel exclusive. Like they need to feel like they're excited when they get an email from you that they're part of this cool group of people who gets this exclusive content that you can't get anywhere else. So you have your subscribers. They're on mm -hmm. your list. They, mm -hmm. they are there. Um, let's talk about two words that, that we've already mentioned, but, but automation and segmentation. Mm -hmm. um, should we be thinking about that before we even start our lists? When should we be thinking about doing that? Because a lot of people sign up for a, I will say, a highly popular free mailing system. Mm -hmm. Um monkey based and and yeah. there aren't there, some of those features aren't there and yeah. then they get into their list and they go well wait a minute how do i do this let's even back up what should we be looking for in a in a newsletter company I'll so start I there think, first. <laughs> so the first thing you need, well, there's another word of automation, segmentation, and preferences. So okay. the first thing you want is at least some sort of a tool. And there's a lot of free tools out of there that you can have people subscribe to and you can send um, emails from. And But it will allow that person to tell you how many emails that they want to receive, if they do want to opt out, if they want to receive less emails from you. So at least you need, I think, the preferences just to make sure that you're not, you know, blind copy blasting people from your Gmail address. I mean, if, if you're really serious about creating this brand and using email marketing to do that, then you need to at least get a tool and there's free ones out there. So I'm, it's just a, a number amount of time to kind of set it up. Um, segmentation and automation is is more of sort of a, an undertaking i think for someone who is going to spend a lot of time um though you can set up a really sort of what i call a welcome sequence which is a sort of three to five emails which is just you know content that you've already created that's for your target market that you can send on an automated basis the idea of sort of set it and forget it when somebody signs up initially so the first email i always recommend sending is a welcome email so when somebody signs up for someone something for on your website anywhere they get an email from you that's very sort of personal it looks like your brand and it just welcomes them essentially to your brand family right to say like you you've signed up for something really cool. Good job, you know? And then you could go on sort of a, a little nurture stream, as I call it, to just send them a couple emails. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, once a week is probably as much as you want. Um, a lot of articles you read as far as why do people opt out of email lists is because they got too many emails. Um, and I'm sure we've all been there specifically around the holidays as, you know, there's any sort of holiday you have is like every brand is like, it's 4th of July, it's Christmas, it's Thanksgiving. And it's like, we know, you know, so, um, I would just recommend, you know, starting small and starting what you know that you can provide and then see if you if you're just, you know, getting a light bulb moment all the time and you have more content you want to push out, then you can sort of ramp it up from there. Now, we talk about that niche audience, that finding that right person. And, yep. you know, one of the things that I decided to do over the summertime was really focus on on who my audience is. Yep. And and I'm very open about this. I'm I'm a ConvertKit subscriber. I, I love the company. I love what they're doing. And and they give the opportunity to to put tags. So when you subscribe, you are given a tag. And I, every single one of my my opt-ins it says I am a. 
And then you drop that down. I'm a teacher. I'm a tech coach. I'm a podcaster. Mm -hmm. And so from from minute zero, I've been able to tag you and say, well, if you're a tech coach, you're now this tag. So I can immediately send you the tech coach intro list, as you mentioned, or the podcaster intro list, because those are completely separate things going to separate podcasts, separate parts of my website. And, you know, the podcaster might not even be a teacher. When should... First of all, I'll ask the expert this. Am I doing it? Oh, am I doing it right? And second of all, when should we be thinking about uh, segmenting and, and, and tagging people? Is that, again, should we be doing that from minute zero or should we be click here and then it segments? What's your philosophy on actually creating your tags and segments? So I, if it's somebody just starting out, I, I don't want, I would rather have somebody listening to this podcast be excited about what they could do than be overwhelmed about what they think they'll never be able to do. Mm -hmm. So I think for someone to start out to say, you know, I really just want to narrow in on maybe one, maybe two um, types of personas or avatars, as you've mentioned, and then really just focus on getting those people to subscribe, assuming that the people who subscribe are that persona. Um, once you get into sort of three up to five or more, people do like to be able to self-select, as you mentioned, Jeff, to say, you know, the value you're going to provide to somebody who's a teacher versus somebody who's a tech coach versus a podcaster that might not even be traditionally in the education market, you do want to provide them with the most relevant content. Um, so you would want a way to have them sort of be able to self-select that way. Um, but you're going to have to then create that much content so that people who are, because the worst thing you could do is get somebody to self-select to have them assume they're going to get valuable content and then still get something that's not what they really wanted to sign up for. Talking today to Heather Blackwell all about email marketing, subscribers, getting people, engaging them. And, and Heather, let's kind of dive into our list because you have put together an amazing set of of. I don't want to say rules, but guidelines here. Five ways that we can keep our email subscribers engaged. Now we have them. Now they're in our, our mailing list. What's the first thing that we should be thinking about to get them engaged? So uh, a couple of these I've already mentioned, but it's a, you know, a great thing to reiterate is get to know them. So as I mentioned before, making sure that they can um, set, set their own preferences. So if they want to only receive the monthly newsletter from you or if they want to receive weekly emails, you know, making sure that they're sort of in the driver's seat from what they're going to receive from you is really important. Um, and then there's a way to continually get information from your subscribers. So one thing that I've done in the past is set up a short survey using SurveyMonkey that you send out and ask them, you know, what kind of content do you want to see? Um, or what sort of things are you struggling with? Um, that is a great way to get information back from that audience so that you can create content for them that you know that they want because they told you that they want it. So any way that you can uh, make, you know, create a conversation with them, even though it is sort of a one to many, but involving them in it to say, you know, we're trying to build this thing together and I'm trying to be a resource to you. Um, and then just using sort of the data that you're getting as far as what they're clicking on, you know, what are they interested in? If they're never clicking on something, then maybe it's not hitting, you need to change it, you need to think about it. So just continually remembering that every person that signed up for your newsletter is an individual person who is really looking to, um, looking to you to improve their own work and, and get more resources from you. Mm -hmm. And then the next one I do have is, again, to that conversation of, uh, you know, building the relationship is to be yourself to them. So you want to get to know them and you also want them to know you. So it's specifically in being 
a, your own brand. It's you. It's your name. It's your face. It's who you are. And you want to have that personality with them. So, you know, email templates are great, but you want to make sure you don't sort of fall into this trap of just looking like the same thing all the time. One thing I love is um, I, I sign up for a lot of uh, graphic designer and photographer email lists. And, you know, a lot of times they'll show their work, but then sometimes they'll just do a plain email and it's, you know, done within their mail system. So it looks like it's just written from them, but it really does sort of change the tone to say, you know, they took the time to make it look more personable and look like it was from them, um, continually building that relationship with their list. Now, you mentioned a few things in here. I know when we're looking at educators, and I, I, I think this is a fair thing to say, like we like free products. We like to be able yeah. to get something in and do it. Now, you had mentioned SurveyMonkey. Um, I know a lot of times with educators, we fall back on Microsoft Forms, Google Forms. Oh, Google. Yeah, Google I, Forms are I, great. I have them. They're all over the place. Anytime I want to receive it, a, 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 a contact and you know make a spreadsheet out of it, Google Forms are fantastic. I'd love to hear a little bit about SurveyMonkey because I recently also signed up for a great application called Response Suite. Same thing. It's a form maker, much like Survey Response, but I love it because when I give you that survey, depending on your answer, it actually connects to ConvertKit and now you're actually being tagged based off of the answers on your form. It cost me a couple of dollars a month, mm -hmm. but now I'm able to say, oh, Heather said she has a list of this and she likes to do this and she's over here. Now I can segment, you know, maybe I'm going to make up an email that's only going to go to these 14 people, but those yep. 14 people out of my thousands want that content. And that makes Heather happy. Tell, is, is SurveyMonkey similar? Is it the same, is similar, same difference? So SurveyMonkey is great for that. Um, but another thing that you could do without then having to use another tool is to use the email tool that you're already using. So you could essentially set up a two question survey and use the buttons in the email template. So if you have a question of, are you more interested in lesson plans or you're more interested in weekly webinars? And then the email people that will click through on whichever one they want, then you can use that data to segment them within your um, email program, or you could just use it as information to say, well, out of my 90 subscribers, 45, well, that wouldn't be very helpful, 45, um, you know, 75 of them are interested in lesson plans. Therefore, I know I should spend the majority of my time creating lesson plans, and that will be the most valuable to the audience. So when we're looking at keeping our audiences engaged, you had said the first thing here is setting expectations, having an intro um, series of emails, getting to know you. What is what are, you know? What are you getting yourself into? I always like to look at that as get them clicking on things, right? Because in, yep. in Gmail, you want to be active with these things or else Gmail might put the these newsletters not in your inbox. They might say, mm -hmm. well, if, if I'm getting all of this stuff from Heather and I'm not clicking on it, it must be spam. So yeah. I always look at my intro sequence as how do I get them to click and interact, which is why I use an amazing application called Dub, D-U-B-B. -B. Mm -hmm. It creates videos. It does little animated uh, grips, whatever you want to yep. call those things, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and I always try to put some kind of subscribe to my podcast. Now, getting to know your subscribers, you mentioned, was the second thing. Get their email preferences. Figure out what they want when they do it. That's not even something I do. I'm going to go after this show and try to figure out how I can figure out how to get email preferences. And then you said the third thing is be yourself, which I completely agree with. 
you shouldn't, you know, like, we're educators, we're humans, we're fifth grade teachers, high school teachers, whatever. If suddenly we're getting these really flashy templates that look like we're bigger, people get turned off by that very, very quickly. Yeah. And one of the things just as you were talking, Jeff, I'm thinking, you know, one of the things that I struggle with as, you know, marketing from a brand is how do you create that person personality of a brand? But when you're doing your personal brand, you already have it. It's yeah. you. You just need to own it and to know that, you know, people do want that connection with you. They want to see you as someone that they would, you know, love to meet up with at a conference or, or love to watch on a, um, a webinar or something like that. And just really own that and, and continually push your own um, yourself, your personality forward. And I think there's rules behind that. I think there's a limit to that. For instance, I've come to in my newsletters. I'm now putting out a, a short paragraph. Hey, the holidays were great. I took the kids to see Star Wars. What are you doing? Let me know. But I think that's different than opening a newsletter and seeing a picture of your kids at the park. Yeah. And it's whatever you feel the most comfortable for, but I totally agree with you still need to stay to the needs of your persona. So, you know, they likely though, they might want to see a couple pictures of your kids throughout the year. You know, they really signed up because they want to get that value that you offer them from a professional sense. And that comes to our fourth one, making content valuable. But you also have saying you're going to mix up the content. Tell us a little bit about not only making it valuable, but but changing things around a little bit. Yeah, I think, I mean, people are used to a lot of different types of media now. Um, and you want to just make it fun, right? So, uh, you, Jeff, you do a great job of this, is you have a lot of good social posts. You have a podcast. You have videos. You, you know, you want to, as much as you can, you want to make it just um, exciting. So they want to open up your email list to see what they're going to be getting. Um, one thing that I really try to um, tell people who you know connect with me when they're becoming consultants or that kind of thing and they're working on building their brand, I, I always say, whatever you do, see how you can change it to slightly to be something else without that much work. So you can do um, an ebook. And then, as I mentioned, you could write a blog post about the ebook. Then you might want to do a webinar that talks about the ebook. Yeah. Um, then you might want to reach out to somebody to ask them to write a response of the ebook that you did and to continue, like, get as much tread off of the tires that you can because you are going to be putting in a lot of your own work to create this content. I, I, I absolutely echo that. You know, um, I see a lot of teachers creating an ebook and then that's it. And then it's that's here's it, my yep. ebook on the side. And then I'm going, no, 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 no. How many different ways can, can you show me how you made the ebook? Can you show me the application? Yep. Five ways to use the application that you made the ebook with. Now, yep. how many different blog posts can you, you know, I, that's so important. If you're listening, I'm going to keep saying this. If you're listening to this, back up one minute of this of this podcast and listen to Heather's answers on that. How many different ways can you repurpose your content? And if you're a podcaster yep. listening to this, we know about repurposing, right? You you create a half an hour episode, but can you do 30 second sound bites or can you put it on on YouTube? Or can, it's the same exact stuff going out with our um, with our opt-ins, I, I try to do one different opt-in a month. And I try to say every month is a theme and how many different pieces of content, whether it be a podcast or written, a, a download, a get, it saves me time. It sounds like a lot more, but it saves me time because I'm not building these PDFs. I'm creating content around the PDF. 
Yep, that's great. And then I do like um, trying to play off of other people's uh, content already. So a lot of people would love to have a link to their site um, on something that they've done. So if you read something or you watch something that's really valuable and you think your audience would like that, instead of using theirs as it is, you can riff on it, make a different version of it, and then still link to it. But it's just everything you're trying to see, how can I make the most out of what I'm doing already? Can you say that again? Because what you just said is a conversation we have so often in not only the, the, the content creation world, the blogging world, it's okay to look at what somebody else has done and try something and similar, right? You, I've used it. I mean, I'm, my husband is in digital marketing too, and we often joke that everything on the internet is basically just pieces of other things that are on the internet. Um, not to be flippant about it, to say, you know, you should just copy and paste something and put it on your own. However, people love getting links to their own stuff. So, and they feel flattered. You know, if somebody reaches out to, you know, I'm reaching out to people all the time that are writing things in our target market and asking if I, can I, write a response post to this if I link to you, or can I use this in a social post, or can I you know, talk about it on the podcast? And people love to be able to get that own lift from their work that they've already done, but it helps you sort of continue your work and do maybe even less work on something that's gonna get you some lift by sort of leveraging and, and valuing the work that's already been done. Now, why is that important? You know, so many podcasters and I have been talking saying, okay, uh, I, I just heard this great podcast on this topic. Should I do the same topic? What, you know, can I, can I do the same topic? Or somebody just came out with a blog post that says five ways to use Google slides like this. Am I not allowed to ever do that blog post or am I not allowed to ever mention that? Or, Hey, I had that. I, you know, like you get the idea. It's okay to share content. It's okay to give credit to things. It's okay to borrow and use. And mm -hmm. it's okay to do this stuff. We're all in it together. Yeah. And I think it helps to build community. I mean, there's so many, um, you know, people on Instagram who didn't, would have never in their lives met each other, but through their own passions, they were able to create a connection and create a relationship because they found someone who was doing something very similar to what they were doing. And they just went out of their way to say, hey, can I leverage the video that you just made? Can I put it on mine? So especially I think in education, I mean, we want to build a community around educators and have them have those connections. And I couldn't see somebody being, you know, as long as you were going to give them the credit for their work, that they would love that what they did inspired you to do something um, too. What What's your rules on that? If, for instance, if you had a video, you had a thing and I wanted to borrow it, I could easily say, hey, Heather, would you mind? But am I going to email and try to find the, the, the owner of learning.com to say that you made a great video? Can I use that on my blog? I mean, are there times where we should reach out and times where it's just it's a company just use the stuff that they've put out? Yeah, I think in, in a with anyone, I think the sort of unspoken rule is that if you link back to the original place that you found it, it and mention where you found it is, I think, good enough, right? Because then at least someone who's on your post won't be under the assumption that you created it. And then also it's a nice way to give sort of link credit back to the original source that created it. And I, I mean... 
I'm not a lawyer, but I think that in general, what I've seen is when when you do that, um, people like having that recognition um, because who knows, somebody who would have never maybe gone to their site now knows that it exists. Now, when we're looking at our five ways to keep our email subscribers engaged, we have set expectations, knowing your subscribers, being yourself, making content valuable and mixing up. Heather, what's that last thing we should be thinking about? So out of all of my points, this one is absolutely the most important. Um, we have a lot of tools available. Even free ones have a lot of analytics that you can you know, see what people are doing, how they're interacting with your um, email. And one of the things for me from a brand's perspective is I need to know how to use my resources and only do things that are working. And what isn't working, I need to learn how to, how to improve. So I improve, want to improve increase that with everyone. So the best way that you can look initially at your data is with open rate and click-through rate. So open rate is the time of day, the day that you sent it, and was the subject line good? So were people interested when they read the subject line and the preview text, which is kind of getting into the nitty gritty, but when you see an email and you have what the subject line is, and then it's sort of that underline underneath it, uh, we could basically do a whole podcast about subject lines and preview text, but I'm making sure that those for sure are engaging enough. So if, if you get a good open rate, that means you're you're good there. And then the click-through rate. So then of those people who opened the email, did they find the content that they saw once they opened interesting and relevant enough to click through to the piece of content, to your website, wherever you're trying to get them to click? And as I think I've mentioned before, but definitely want to hit on it, make sure you have clickable things in your email. Um, one, to get people to engage with it so that you know, you're, you're continually being moved up in their inbox and also just to get keep people to your website more. And then on the other side of it, if you have a low open rate, that's probably you need to look more at the timing that you're sending, what day, what time. Um, is there a way that you can use your email tool to send at different times depending on what time zone somebody might be in? So a lot of email tools have they look at the IP address of where you're sending it and you can hopefully then send it at the right time that they're gonna be most interested in it. Um, and you know what, I would even recommend you might wanna send emails on the weekend, try that. You know, we all open our work emails on the weekend. A lot of people are like, I have to send my emails sometime between Tuesday and Thursday, but play a little bit around with it and see, making sure you note which ones are the most successful. And then if it's a low click-through rate, you want to look at your call to actions. How are how are the links looking? How are the buttons looking? Do they look like something somebody is going to want to click on when they open it, particularly if they open it on their phone? So something you need to think about is if they open it on their computer or they open it on their phone, is it still going to look in a way that they're going to want to click through? You know, Heather, I've come up with about 12 more podcasts we're going to have you on throughout the next few months here. <laughs> Things okay. from email subjects, how to write an email, preview tabs, um, automation, button colors, and, and you just mentioned a few more I didn't even have a chance to write down. <laughs> Guys, this podcast has absolutely been golden. I hope you have a chance to check this show out not only once but twice and take notes on it. We're going to be having as many details on our show notes as absolute possible over on buildyouredubrand.com. Heather, you know, we We've really gone from what is an email all the way through how to keep them engaged. Do you have any last advice or last little tidbits of, you know, the long game, right? It, it's not about keeping them. It's not about nurturing them, but it really is turning them into, this is another podcast, customers. 
Yes, absolutely. So, and you need to keep them engaged. You need to keep them hooked, but then you need to always have your end goal in mind. And you definitely, you're right, Jeff, another uh, thing. So one thing though, to remember that is have that sort of information on your website and then continually lose using emails to keep bringing people back to the website, because that's where you're going to be making whatever connections you need to, to make, you know, consultant sales or to sell something, sell an, an, a larger style ebook, anything like that is going to happen on your website. And so your whole goal is how do I use email as a mechanism to continually get people to the website where the value is made for you? And I highly recommend you check out all of our episodes on TeacherCast about building websites, digital hubs. We have a lot of blog posts over there, and that is episode four or five of our TeacherCast 90-day email marketing challenge. I hope you have a chance to check that out and be a subscriber. We are almost at 100 educators of... Uh, that are interested in building their EDU brand, putting their their marketing skills together and learning how to do this. If you guys are looking at checking that stuff out, head on over to build your EDU brand today. Heather, you're amazing. You are absolutely wonderful. A fountain of knowledge. Where do we go to reach out to you and 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 learn more great stuff about this topic? Uh, LinkedIn is the best way. I'd love to connect with you there. Um, you can just my slash is HD Blackwell. So go to LinkedIn or search for my name. And I'd love to connect with you there. I'm sh I always share a lot of great articles about email marketing, other types of marketing, um, marketing to educators. So connect with me there. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with you, Jeff. Educators, if you are looking to build your EDU brand, the best way to start is through your email. You know, we can look at Facebook, we can look at Twitter, we can look at LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Dub, any of these things that we've talked about. There isn't anybody alive who has active accounts in all of these things, but everybody has an email box. It is our job as content creators to figure out how do we get in it? How do we manage it? How do we manipulate it? How do we get people to interact with it? How do we turn them into engaged subscribers to build a community to then make them into paying customers. If you're with me and you're interested, I definitely encourage you to, to subscribe to this show and encourage your friends to subscribe to The Jeff Bradbury Show. We've got a lot of more great opportunities coming up for you and a lot more of these five ways to grow your brand through. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be dealing with five ways to build your brand through logo design, through podcasting, through audio, through, through public relations, lots of different topics. Please stick around with us. And, 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 and you know what? I'm going to say it. Sign up for my newsletter. We're going to be giving you a whole bunch of different stuff over at buildyouredubrand.com. On behalf of Heather and everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to the TeacherCast Educational Network, hosted by Jeff Bradbury. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at TeacherCast or online at www.teachercast.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App Store.